Okay, open up to uh, page 17. <clears throat> Before we get going, I want to uh, reiterate something very, very important. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, it says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. I'm just going to read it. You don't have to go there if you don't want. But it says, Paul says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And he goes on to say, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So one of the devil's primary issues or primary things he's going to try to do in your life is he's trying to blind you to the gospel. He's blinded the world to the gospel, and he's going to come to you and try to blind you to the gospel and to the, and to the cross. He doesn't want you to look at the cross. He doesn't want you to talk about the cross. He doesn't want you to meditate about the cross. Why is that? Because that's where all the power is released. It wasn't me praying for her that was, I'm just so cool and just like whatever. No, because of the, power, because of the cross, spiritual power is released to us. But here's the thing we have to get over is that it sounds foolish. It's foolish. We were, I was talking to uh, some, some young adults yesterday about the cross, and it, it does sound foolish. Like, why couldn't God do, be like the Avengers and just come and just, like, do something really cool and to save the world and, like, I don't know, make it really exciting in some kind of way and guns and bombs and blow up stuff? But no, what's he do? He sends his son. He says, give me a tree. Give me two two-by-fours. Put them this way and put him on there, and that's how we're going to save the world. Really? That's, that's it, God? Doesn't sound exciting. Doesn't sound, there's no, doesn't really sound like it's full of wisdom. But he uses something really foolish to save us. First Corinthians says, For it pleased God through the message of the cross to save people. The foolishness of the message preached, he uses that to save us. So I want to draw your attention back to the cross. Colossians talks about how he disarmed principalities and powers. He did it through the cross. So he disarmed the enemy, therefore he can dislodge lies in your life. It is the cross. You guys hear me this, tonight? It's the cross. It's the blood of Jesus. We've got to put our attention on that. So I wanted, to put, I wanted to say that because that's really, really important. Okay? It's not about some emotional thing that we can go through, all that, that does happen, but it really is because of the cross of Jesus. The second thing I want to remind us, I talked about in week one, is the importance of journaling, okay? I brought these out here because this is what helped change my life. This, these are my journals over the past, since I started in 20, uh, or 2009. There's, all, there's a whole bunch of mess in here. You might, you might look at me and say, man, you're well put together. Your life's in order. And Well, if you look in here, you're going to be like, dang, this guy's jacked up. <laughs> so if you're not journaling and, and you feel overwhelmed and where do I start, what do I do? Grab a pen, grab your journal, grab your Bible, and do that. 
I wanted to read a, um, an excerpt from someone who had just recently wrote a book. I feel like I was reading through this the other day, and I realized she's already done what we're going through right now. And uh, Mama Jan wrote a book called Souvenirs. <clears throat> but uh, l- listen, listen to what she says here. This is exactly what we're doing, but honestly, most of us were like, oh, it's not important. I'll just keep moving forward, act like I'm all good. Here's what she says. This is in her intro. The word souvenir is actually the French word for memory. I love that. So in a way, a memory is actually a souvenir of the mind, a a memento of our past that lives on in our thoughts and recollections. These souvenirs of the mind become a part of who you are, unique to your life and experience. No two people ever have the same souvenir collection. That's what this book is an assortment of souvenirs or, mem- or memories that the Lord has been bringing up in my mind's eye for a few years now. Some of them are stories I've told many times to entertain friends and family. Others recount episodes in my life going back decades, people I haven't thought about literally in years, or things that happened to me that were so painful in the moment that I managed to block them until now. Until the Spirit's gentle prompting, coaxing me to unwrap the souvenir once again, hold it up to behold it anew, and see something about it that I did not see before. See how God led me through that time of my life. See how he protected me. See how the painful turn in that story was really him pushing me off the wrong road and onto something better he had in store for me. See how these are lessons and biblical truths in the mundaneness of daily life. It is my hope, my prayer, actually, that you, dear reader, will pull out your own souvenirs after you've read about mine. At the end of each story is a brief prayer that relates to the situation or memory I've just shared with you. Consider praying that prayer with me and then take a few minutes to ask God to bring to your mind any parallels in your own life where he's shown you the same lesson. So this is basically her testimony. This is what God has done in her life, and it's a really well-written journal. Mine's all sloppy and just like, you know, bad grammar, but this is, this is what we're doing. But so often, we don't want to do this. We just keep moving on as if we're okay and everything's fine. Well, the Lord is calling us to do this. Mama Jen, she, she just foreran this, this whole thing. She's already done what we're doing. You guys tracking with me? It's worth it. I'm actually going to read from my journal from 2014 here in a little bit. But let's pray. Okay, so tonight we're talking about judging others in the critical spirit. You guys, here's where it starts getting heavy. Can we, can we just jump in tonight? Or do we need to pray and intercede for about 30 minutes to get us warmed up maybe? All right, Father, we come before you tonight in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we all humble ourselves. Father, we say that you know what's best, and we look to you, we look to your word. And Father, I pray that you would instruct me as I instruct your people, that you would use me as a vessel, that you would be glorified and honored in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's look at these first couple quotes here. Alexander Strach says, while visiting a friend's farm, I noticed that some of the chickens running around were missing feathers. 
Some even had open sores on their skin. When I asked the reason for this, the farmer casually replied, Oh, they like to peck at one another. That's exactly the way some people treat one another. They like to peck at others. They love to find fault, criticize, complain, and condemn. In fact, anyone who has served in a church has encountered petty complainers and fault-finding critics who act more like pecking chickens than spirit-filled believers. Any peckers in here? Anyone been pecked before? If you've been pecked before, you've probably pecked someone else. Right? Can we just, this is, raise your hand. You've done it before. Just go ahead and confess now. We've done it. Let's not act like we, we've never done it before. Okay? Francis Frangipane says this, more churches, this is, his, this is a strong opinion of his, more churches have been destroyed by the accuser of the brethren and his fault-finding than by either immorality or misuse of church funds. So prevalent is its influence in our society that among many, fault-finding has been elevated to the status of a ministry. Is anyone in that ministry? Oh my it's, always, it's crazy. People, will, they'll come here to Heart of the Father, and they'll start pointing out stuff, and I'm like, well, who, what's your name? Have you been here before? I mean, it's, it's a real thing. People just, you know, they got the word of the Lord so they can tear down whatever they want and just go for it. So that does not please the Lord. If you want to quench the Holy Spirit real quick, just start being critical. Just start finding all these faults. Start being judgmental. That'll quench him really quick. <clears throat> Flip over to, we're going to start somewhere different, uh, page 19. So, judging is not always bad. Okay, to judge, it means, in, in a basic form, it means to separate the good from the evil, right from wrong. So, judging is not inherently bad. And Jesus doesn't, he never says, you better not judge. He just, make, he just tells us that we need to be careful when we judge. He says, before you judge your brother, make sure you get the log out of your eye so that you can see their speck clearly. Okay, so he doesn't say, don't ever do it. He just says, be careful. <clears throat> and so, I wanted to hit some things before we get into uh, determining and, and, and getting into the critical spirit. But on page 19, where it says, you have permission to judge when? I want to put this out there before we get in, just so that you know there is a context for judging and evaluating something. And honestly, us elders, if you're a part of this body, we're open to you, your critique. As long as you do it in the right manner, in the right spirit, we're open to that. If you don't do it in the right spirit, in the right manner, we're going to be fine. Like, it's, it's, all, it's all good. We're not saying if you don't do it right, you can say nothing. No, no, but we want to grow in maturity. We want to learn how to do it rightly. So you have permission to judge when, number one, you have taken the log of hypocrisy out of your own eye in order to see rightly. Right? In Romans chapter 2, here's what Paul says about judging. I'm just going to go there quickly. He says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in, whatever, uh, when, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. Well, why? For you who judge practice the same thing. Therefore, you're, you can't judge. If you're doing the same thing someone else is doing, you can't say you can't do that when you're doing it. That doesn't work that way. 
Okay, so you don't have permission to judge someone if you're doing the same thing. Number two, you have permission to judge when you have allowed the Lord to weigh your motives. Okay, in Romans 14, Paul says this, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? In other words, you despise your brother and you're rejecting him. That's why you're judging him. Your motives need to be weighed on why you're bringing critique to someone. Third, you can judge when you have heard the whole matter of the story. Guys, this is huge. The Lord has spared me a couple times. Because I, I usually just like to ask questions to get, you know, someone talking. And, and there's a one instance where I did that and I actually, and I was going to bring correction to them. And I just asked questions and they told me the whole story. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm glad they told me that because I was going to bring correction and I would have been totally wrong. Because so-and-so told me half the story and this person told me the whole story. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense now. Uh, Proverbs 18, verse 13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. So before you bring a word of correction, you better get the whole story. Because sometimes we just like to leave really important stuff out of a story when telling someone. Number four, you can judge when you sincerely desire to see them restored back to God more than anything else. I mean, there should be a soft, gentle heart, maybe tears. You know, in Galatians it says, when someone's caught in sin, you are spiritual restored, such a one, in a what kind of spirit? Spirit of gentleness, meekness. Number five, you can judge when you are judging according to the Word of God and not according to your own personal opinion or conviction. All right, I... I know we love our opinions, our convictions can be really strong. But y'all, we, we need to stick to the Word of God. There's a, a book that um, Pops recommended to me. It's called, um, I wrote it down because I knew I would forget what it was. Um, or maybe I didn't. Uncommon Decency, yeah. And he talked, he, I've never heard this language before, but I'm like, he, he's hitting something. He says that here's what you have in the church. You have people who have strong convictions on one side, and then you have people on the other side who are civil, who are polite and kind. And usually the ones who, are, who have conviction, they just run people over because they're so convicted, they can't budge. Truth, truth, truth. It's their conviction. It's a strong opinion. And then over here, we're so civil, we're so nice that we just don't ever say anything too harsh or too mean to anyone. Just love, 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 love. And he's, he brings out the point that we need to, in a sense, marry those together. We need those who have this deep conviction to become more civil. And those who are civil to become more convicted. Amen. It is both and. But I know we are, we're created in a way where we lean one way or the other. But it's really important that our, our opinions, we don't let those things come out when we're judging someone, when we're bringing correction. And number six. You can judge when you have felt the weight of standing before the judgment seat of Christ in order to be judged for your life. Okay? There should be a sense of fear and trembling of like, oh gosh. I remember I asked someone who, <clears throat> this man, he brought a lot of correction to people, and I just thought, I asked him, I said, how do, you do, like, how do you do that? It seems like it's easy to you. He's like, brother, it's never easy. It's never easy to bring correction to someone. 
He's like, but I do it because I want to do what God's word says. So it never should be easy just to go in there and body slam someone in the spirit and smack them around and you just walk out like, I just did them a service. Don't do that, okay? Uh, The second part. So that's when you can, when you have permission to judge. The second part there, how to judge and uh, how to judge and rebuke constructively, okay? How do you do it? Number one, you cover it in prayer, okay? The Lord will help you, but you need to pray about it. He's going to give you strategy. He's going to give you insight, but you need to pray about it. Two, speaking to the person privately first, okay? We totally forget the whole Matthew 18. We totally just skip it. Like, okay, Barry offended me. I'm going to tell all you over here what Barry did, and I just never will go to him. No, no, no. The Bible doesn't say go to all your friends and what Derek Kirkman coined as build a power base. And then we can just launch an attack on the nickels. Right? That's what we do. We, we tell all of our friends and just, guys, let's get them. <laughs> no, go to them first. It's okay to go to someone to get counsel and some wisdom, but you don't need to go to like six people. To everyone. But we do that because in, inside we're, we're actually really insecure, and we're trying to build that little power base that we can try to be strong on, you know. All right, I got this. Don't do that. Okay? Speak to them first. Uh, number three, by speaking gently, okay? People don't, re- do you respond, let me ask you this, do you respond well when someone starts yelling at you? Who in here responds well when someone just starts screaming at you? Okay, no one. Kyle said he does, all right? Kyle, we're just going to start yelling at you right now. <laughs> but mo- we don't respond well when someone's yelling at us, so don't do that to them. Doesn't Jesus say treat others how you yeah, so don't yell. It, you, can, you can bring correction and, and, and do it like with, with the Lord's strength and the Lord's power, but do it gently. That is possible. We just usually jump on one end and forsake all the other good stuff. Flip the page over. Another way on how you judge, by balancing criticism with words of encouragement. My wife calls this the sandwich. She says she doesn't like this because she's like, just tell me what you're going to correct me on. Don't sandwich me. Like, but, but here's the thing. Yeah, and someone may, where the sandwich is this, where they encourage you, they rebuke you, and then they encourage you. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. That's actually good. Okay, Jesus does it in the letters to the church in Revelation. He commends them. Hey, here's what you're doing really well. And he's being sincere. He's just not making it up and like, man, what are they doing? Oh, I don't know. I'll just say this. No, it's sincere. Okay, that's the very heart of Christ. He doesn't like to crush you just because he wants to crush you. He wants to encourage you. Hey, you're doing these really well. I'm so proud of you. You've grown so much. Let's talk about this right here for a few minutes, okay? And then after a while, keep going. I love you so much. You're doing good. All right, so if the elders come to you, we're going to sandwich you. Just know that, okay? We, we will sandwich you. All right, number five, this is how you judge someone. By, you do it by the Scripture with the intent to instruct. 
It says right here, it is best when the word does the cutting and instructing, not your opinions. I'm telling you, you just start sharing the scriptures. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. Okay, Jesus said he's going to remove spots, wrinkles, blemishes from his church. He didn't say you were going to do that. He didn't say I was going to. He's going to do it. Okay, so if you stick to his word, he will get rid of spots, wrinkles, and blemishes. And the last one, welcome criticism. So if you can dish it out, you need to be able to receive it. All right, that's really, it's really immature if you just dish it out and then they come to you and you just, nah, I'm good. Psalm 141, verse 5 says, Let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. Wow. So welcome criticism. Okay, now we got that out the way. Let's go back here. Page 17. A couple characteristics of a critical spirit that you see in the Pharisees and in religious leaders. Number one, they were self-appointed. Okay, this, this stuff applies to us too. I know the Pharisees, we're talking about them, but we're talking about us as well. Self-appointed. They just come out of nowhere. They just show up. There's no, there's no um, one rapper says, I'm tired of your high opinions and low commitments. Like you're, you're, All these opinions, but there's no commitment. I'll just tell you all, my, all this stuff that God has told me, but I'm not committed to any church. I'm not committed to any body of believers. But I'll come in here and tell you what's up. No, no, no. Uh, number two, limited personal experience. That's, an, <laughs> that's a good, another good one. Number three, expert in tearing things down, but a novice in building things up. I mean, it's amazing. I'm going to read from my journal here, and this is when I was around 25 years old. I mean, I, hadn't, I wasn't on church leadership or nothing, but you, you would think that, like, I'm an I'm expert in building the church, and I had no, no experience at all. <laughs> None at all. I mean, it's like the, the arm, uh, they call them the armchair quarterbacks. You know, you're watching sports, and you just, he's open, throw it to him. And it's so obvious, like, I, I could do that. Okay, let's put you out there. Let's have like eight guys who weigh 400 pounds running at you, trying to tackle you. Let's see, and they're like towering over you. Can you see the little guy in the corner open? No. But, on the, but you're sitting on your couch. You got popcorn and a drink. You see the biggest, I mean, it's picture perfect. Like, oh, easy, right there. I mean, I, I still do that watching basketball. I'm like, man, that, dude, just go right there. But then I realized, hold on, wait, wait, Brandon, those guys are way better than me. Okay, and if they can't do it, I can't do it. All right? So a critical spirit, they're experts in tearing things down. They can tell you all the stuff that's wrong. Number four, they're hair splitters, nitpickers. Strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. They will nitpick little things in everyone else's life, and they got this blaring issue in their life, but they don't even see it. And number five, they feed on negativity, foster unbelief, suspicion, <clears throat> and fear. Yeah. 
So I was going to, I guess I lost the place here. I was going to read from my journal here back in 2014. I basically wrote an entry, and it was entitled, um, maybe the Lord doesn't want me to read it. He doesn't want me to uh, boast in my weakness. Yeah, I don't know where it went. Anyways, I, literally the title of this journal entry was My Critical Spirit. And I wrote how my heart was so critical, and then I defined what it meant to be critical, and I went on to, to try to write 10, th- 10 positive things about the church. And uh, I only had one thing written down. But that's real. I was 25 years old. No experience in anything with ministry other than just praying for people. Like the elders bear the brunt. I'm in the back. I get the, get the easy part. But like I just knew what to do. I knew what to say. Just give me the mic, all this stuff. And I had zero experience. Yeah, I was so critical. But can't find it. So the Lord spared me. <laughs> Page 18. Determining when you're operating in a judgmental, critical spirit. See, this is, this is where it gets challenging because as believers, we know how to say all the right stuff. We know how to say all the right things. But the critical spirit, the critical spirit also knows how to say all the right things. Even the Pharisees, Jesus says, do what they say, just don't do what they do. So they're saying all the right stuff. It wasn't bad. It was good stuff. Look at the second paragraph in this section. So here's how I want to help us determine when we're operating in a critical, judgmental spirit. So Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and he accuses with precision, planning, and purpose. Yet, no matter how right he may be in accusing you, the one thing he cannot do is operate in the fruit of the Spirit and in the essence of love. Therefore, this is it right here. You are operating in a critical spirit when your judgments are void of the fruit of the Spirit, and the essence of love. You are operating in a critical spirit, judgmental heart, when there's no love, there's no essence of love, 1 Corinthians 13, and there's no fruit of the Spirit. If that's not evident in you, on you, in your words, you're operating in a critical spirit. I remember there's a friend of ours where they were making a decision that I totally, I totally disagreed with. And I told them this, walked with them through the process, said, I just disagree. And one thing I had to make sure I was doing is that I had to marry myself to Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13. Because I thought I was right. And it's so easy. I'm right, they're wrong, they're making a decision totally opposite of me. It's so easy. What we usually do is we just draw back. We don't really love them anymore. We don't talk to them anymore. We don't text them as much. Just kind of, you know, slowly distance ourselves from them. I had to force myself, no, Brandon, wait. This person loves Jesus. They really love Jesus. And they can make the decision they believe they need to make. I had to, I had to bind myself to this. And so when our judgments are void of the fruit of the Spirit and the essence of love, that means we are working in the flesh. That means we're moving in the flesh. That means we have it, we're beginning to open the door for demonic influence. The devil, he loves to partner with our flesh. 
In Romans 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 8, talks about those who live according to the flesh cannot please God. So when you're making judgments and criticisms towards someone, there's no fruit of the Spirit, there's no, the, there's no essence of love, you can't please God in what you're about to do. It may be right. Most of the time, it's probably right. But the Lord is not into just you being right. It's not really about that. Next sentence, you are either partnering with the Spirit of Christ or you're partnering with the Spirit of the devil. The critical spirit can be very familiar with the Word of God, but is typically immature in the ways of God. The Holy Spirit will help you to judge by the Word of God and, everyone say and, at the same time abide in the fruit of the Spirit and the essence of love. This is more than just speaking God's Word it's demonstrating his ways. So you really have to check yourself. You're about to bring correction towards someone. Is there any love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control in your heart? Well, okay, so you're saying, well, Brandon, what if it's wrong what they're doing? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 says love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It doesn't take pleasure in unrighteousness. So it doesn't mean you have to cheer on what they're doing and it's wrong. But it does, you still need to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never instruct you to say, oh, forget about the fruit of the Spirit and love. Just go on. He will never instruct you to do that. The Holy Spirit will never instruct you to just move on and not abide in the fruit of the Spirit. He'll never instruct you to just forget about 1 Corinthians 13 just for a little bit and go do what you got to do. He will not do that. The devil will. Your flesh will. The Holy Spirit will not do that. He's going to teach you how to do it. He's going to help you to marry truth, conviction, with civility. You can do it in gentleness. You can bring a strong correction to someone's life in the spirit of gentleness. You, it's, it's real. You can actually do it. But you have to allow the Holy Spirit to help you. The next section there, four types of critical spirits. These are the manifestations. When you've got a critical heart, number one, you're a gossiper. Someone who reveals secrets going on as a talebearer or a scandal monger. They have privileged information about people and proceed to reveal that information to others with sinful motives and without their knowledge um, of approval. Knowledge or approval. Number two, a slanderer, a person who makes false statements in order to damage a person's reputation. They do not care about the truth or correcting an error. A slanderer will even create errors in order to inflict harm. <clears throat> I was listening to Francis Chan uh, the other day. He was doing an interview, and uh, he was talking about the division uh, in the body of Christ, and he's catching a lot of flack because he met a guy who loved Jesus, and come to find out he's a Catholic, and he's catching flack from the body of Christ, and he, he made an illustration. He said, he's like, if I lived in the first century, and, and I met Mary, and there she is pregnant with Jesus, I mean, he's like, I would, like, that would be, like, so honorable to be in her presence that, like, oh my gosh, there's the Son of God in her womb. You'd be very, you wouldn't be critical. You'd be very careful, wouldn't you? 
And he says, but here we are today, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God. But I'll just like smack you around and do whatever I want. What's the difference? And I'm like, yeah, he's right. We do that. I don't, I don't even consider your spirit filled. You have the Spirit of God. God himself is living in you, the Spirit of Christ. Christ himself is in you. And I just think I could just say whatever about you, and he won't hear it. Number three, judgmentalism. A judgmental person has an excessively critical point of view, characterized by a tendency to judge harshly. They lack empathy for others' viewpoints because they believe their point of view is the right one. They even believe they can know others' motives. They have the amazing skill to put out others' mistakes while minimizing their own. And number four, complainer. Complainer is a person who is habitually negative about others and circumstances of life. They're characterized by discontentment and, and, and ingratitude. So these four things, these are absolutely, I know we would all agree, this is absolutely the work of the flesh. There's, there's, there's no, the Holy Spirit is not into this stuff. If, if we as a church, if we're doing these things, we are acting in a way where it's counterproductive to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. This doesn't mean you don't see things that are real and you don't see mistakes. Yeah, you see mistakes, but it's called maturity. Maybe the Lord is showing you some things that are wrong so that you can speak into them. But it takes boldness, it takes some courage, it takes some guts to go to someone and say, hey, like the Lord is showing me something. Can I share it with you? And then you begin to share. Next part. So what's in the heart of a judgmental and critical spirit? One, envy, jealousy. James calls this bitter envy. The second sentence there, if you get upset, if you become angry and are unable to rejoice when those around you seem to be growing, getting attention and prospering in life, that is because envy and jealousy have caused you to be judgmental and critical. These feelings are produced when you are witnessing and hearing of the advantage and prosperity of others. This leads to a desire to steal and take away the possession or position of another person so that you may have it for yourself. We'll just start slamming so-and-so because really in our heart, like, that should have been us. Like, Lord, how do they get promoted before me? How come their life looks way better than me? You're just jealous. It's envy. If you, you want another a question that can help you to see if you're envy or jealous is, how well do you celebrate others? If, even if you're in a really tough season, do you celebrate when others have victories in their life? Do you get excited for them at all? Do you rejoice with them? Or if you're in a good season and someone is really down and discouraged, do you mourn with them? Do you just take time to say, hey, like, how, how can I get in this in situation with you? That's the heart of Christ. That's what he wants this body to live in, is that we can rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who are mourning and not become envy and jealous and there's some competition 
in here. We know the, the phrase, there's no condemnation in Christ. Well, there's no competition in Christ either. You don't need to fight to get noticed. I mean, it's so real. Someone gets special attention, and you're like, what the heck? What about me? I've been doing all this stuff. And they get all the glory and attention? That's envy. That's jealousy. Number two, self-seeking. This is rooted in, so judgmentalism, a critical heart is rooted in selfishness. The person with a critical spirit is typically seeking to make things about themselves. It's about their position, their knowledge, their maturity, their whatever. Their words carry the aroma of pride and they lack self-control. They find it easy to judge and criticize anything good in which they're not a part of. So if God is moving and they had nothing to do with it, they just sit back and criticize it. If it did not originate with them or is not centered around them, they quickly seek to tear it down with the words and, and with their words to make themselves look good and appear to be on top. Remember, love does not seek its own. That is a work of the flesh to make it about you. It's about me. And the third thing, <clears throat> this is what's in the heart of someone who's critical and judgmental. Evil thoughts. Judgmental, critical spirit is rooted in evil thoughts. The longer they remain envious and jealous, and the longer they operate in pride, the more demonic their thoughts become. These thoughts lead them into greater confusion and deception about the person or situation. At this point, they believe their thoughts are from God, but really their thoughts are from demons. Remember, 1 Corinthians 13, love thinks no evil. If you don't deal with a critical heart, your thoughts will get evil really quick. <clears throat> okay, so overcoming a judgmental and critical spirit. I'm just going to focus on point two. This is extremely helpful. If you realize that you have a critical heart, that you're just judgmental, I really felt for marriages tonight. If you're judgmental, critical towards your spouse, you got some friends that, you know, you're judgmental, critical towards this is what we need to do on number two, the next section. We need to learn mercy. <clears throat> learn mercy. A guy named B.B. Warfield, he wrote an article called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. And he said the predominant emotion that you see in the life of Jesus in, this, in the New Testament is mercy. It's compassion. He sees the multitudes. And what happens? His emotions are stirred. There's compassion in him. But for some reason, and I've had to catch myself, <clears throat> I think some of this has to do with, you know, we're in such warfare, spiritual warfare. We're in a fight. Let's, you know, build up ourselves, all this stuff. And we're harsh on people. We're just mean to people. And we're like preaching the gospel and we're like angry. I'm like, what? I mean, I, I fall into that. I just get frustrated. And it's, it's extremely important for us to learn mercy. <clears throat> he, in this article, he goes on to say, Mercy has been defined as that essential perfection in God whereby he pities and relieves the misery of his creatures. It includes the two parts of an internal movement of pity 
in an external act of doing good. The critical spirit, though, just sits back, shoots away, and just loads up its gun for more a little bit later on. There's no sympathy. There's no empathy. Definitely not going to, you know, extend a helping hand. Just going to sit and watch. He goes on and he makes a, a statement about Matthew 9, verse 36, when Jesus sees the multitude. And here's what he says. This description of the spiritual destitution of the people is cast in very strong language. They are compared to sheep which have been worn out and torn by running here and there through the thorns with none to direct them and have now fallen helpless and hopeless to the ground. The sight of their desperate plight awakens our Lord's pity and moves him to provide the remedy. So if you, I don't doubt that some of you are seeing things that are actually really wrong with someone. But maybe you are called to help provide the remedy. I believe the Lord wants to grow all of our hearts in this aspect of mercy, being merciful. Luke 6 talks about how the Father, he's merciful to the kind, he's kind to the evil and ungrateful. He's actually kind to them, to evil people and to unthankful people. And it goes on to say, therefore, you be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. We can be so on board for truth that we forsake mercy, that we forget that we're called to jump in the mess with people to help them. We're, we're so proud we know the truth. I got the truth. I know it. I'm just going to shoot you straight and tell you how it is. Well, did you consider what kind of week the person had? Maybe life is difficult for them. Jesus says to the disciples they wanted to call on fire from heaven. And what's he say? You don't know what kind of spirit you're of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So we need to replace tonight a critical heart, a judgmental heart, where you walk into the room and the first thing you see is, oh gosh, look at that spot on the floor. Like, okay, yeah, we, we all see that. You want to do something about it, maybe? I don't know. Come and fix it? I mean, you may, there's maybe issues you have with us elders, things that you don't like about how the way we lead. Hey, I, that's totally fine. I don't expect you to like everything about me. And if you see an area in my life that needs to be corrected, instead of just sitting back there and, like, hating me, come talk to me. I'll talk to you about it. But let's, let's, let's ask the Lord. So tonight, I wasn't going to have the, the deacons come and pray. <clears throat> I just want us to respond to the Lord on our own. And if you're married, I think it would be good for you and your spouse to pray together about this. If you realize you've been critical, judgmental towards your spouse. If you're single and you realize you're just that way towards a lot of people. Tonight, I just want us to take a few minutes and repent to the Lord. Ask him to forgive us for being judgmental and critical. And then I want us to ask him to teach us mercy.
Jesus told the Pharisees, he says, go and learn what this means. I don't desire sacrifice, I desire mercy. Go and learn this. So Carissa, can you throw some, some music on? <clears throat> if you want to stand and come to the altar, you can. If you want to sit in your seat, that's fine. But I want us to turn to the Lord and let's begin to pray, ask him to cleanse our heart, to wash us from a judgmental, critical heart and to teach us and show us mercy.